Hi, I'm Ellie Roark. I'm Wilson Gall. And you're listening to Fledgling Theories, a podcast where once a month we pick a recent piece of bird research and chat about it for half an hour. So this month we are talking about Brown et al.'s changing patterns of natural selection on morphology of cliff swallows during severe weather. So Wilson, what's this article about? Well, this is basically a study about evolution being driven by extreme weather events. Yeah, so this study looked at at cliff swallows in Nebraska. And cliff swallows are aerial insectivores, so they, they eat while they fly, and they eat little insects that are flying around. And they can't do that very effectively if it's very cold and damp, because then there aren't very many insects flying around. Yeah, I mean, the birds can still fly, but there's just no insects to be had. Yeah, there's nothing to eat. (laughs) So these study authors had a a long-term study site where they were studying cliff swallows for other reasons every year, year in, year out, for, I don't know, 25 or 30 years or something. I can't remember. Yeah, by this point, it's been going on for at least 30 years. And it just so happened that on three different occasions in three different years over that time period, they had these extreme weather events where it got really cold and wet for four days or more at a time. So long, cold, damp periods are tough for cliff swallows because once it gets past about three or four days of not very many insects flying around, they start to starve. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're simply starving to death because they haven't been able to eat for a few days at this point. So the short, damp periods might be okay, but once they stretch on to about three or four days, it's problematic. So this study is looking at one particular severe weather event that happened in 2017. And they're looking at that, comparing it to some other, to to two other events that happened in 2004 and then the first one that they saw in 1996. So we've got three extreme weather events spread over a couple decades, an event in 1996, 2004, and 2017. And that 1996 extreme weather event They studied at the time, and they actually, these authors published a paper on that event because what they found is that extreme weather event in 1996 had some very strong uh, effects on the population of barn swallows in terms of of evolution. Cliff swallows, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, cliff swallows. So we'll talk about that. I mean, but they, they measured a couple things about the birds, and they tried to figure out, did some birds die more than others, basically, sort of based on some characteristic that could evolve. And in 1996, they did kind of find that. They found that the dead birds and the ones that survived were were very different a couple ways. Yeah, exactly. So the way they did this was by uh, basically measuring the birds that lived and then collecting and measuring birds that died immediately after these events. So they were taking measurements of, of wings, wing length and tail length and bill width and all these kinds of things. They measured a bunch of different things, but I think the easiest thing to sort of wrap your mind around, the thing that we'll focus on to begin with here, is tarsus length. This is basically a measurement of the length of the legs of the birds. So they've got these dead birds that they collect from under the nests. They also uh, captured some live birds in nets after these events. They measured their leg lengths. And this is one of the things that they're looking at to see if there's an advantage or disadvantage basically, to having long or short legs during these extreme weather events. Right. Was there kind of a systematic selection 
as part of the weather event that eliminated long-legged birds or short-legged birds or whatever. Okay, so in the 1996 event, the first one that they measured, this was a very severe event. In some colonies, 100% of the birds died. Um, so they had a very large sample size, a, a lot of dead birds, a lot of living birds. Um, and among other things, what they found was that during that event, there was a selection in favor of longer tarsus lengths, yeah. longer legs. So what that means is that the legs of the birds that died were shorter on average than the legs of the birds that lived. And it was a big difference. It was a difference of over one millimeter. Yeah, it was and, like one and a half millimeters or something. And these are birds whose the, the tarsus length here is about 10 or 11 millimeters. So it's a change of, or it's a difference of at least 10% in the tarsus lengths of the birds that died and the birds that lived. Right. So what does that mean? Why does that matter, Wilson? So what this means, if you're thinking about evolution, is that there was a single event here, a single four-day period in 1996 that put a strong, strong pressure that favored birds with longer legs, essentially. Right. It, it killed off the birds with the shorter legs. And so what this means is that you would assume when, a, when most of the birds that die in this event are the shorter leg ones, what that does, it leaves in your population what is left are the long leg birds. And you would assume that then the next year, when all those long leg birds have babies, that those babies will on average have longer legs than they would have if their parents had had shorter legs. And in fact, in the study that they published on the 1996 data, they found that to be the case. They looked at the next generation of birds and found that they had longer legs than you would expect if it hadn't been for this event. So this is, this is what natural selection is. I mean, this is the whole thing that drives evolution, is that if there's something that makes you more likely to survive and pass on your genes, then that will become more common in the population as a whole. Now, now what is not happening here is that there's not some sort of thing where it's really cold and, and the birds are like, ooh, I should grow my legs longer or something. Right. Like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no sort of response of individual birds. Right. It's the survival rate of birds with a particular trait that is influencing the future generations. So one of the things that I think is sometimes a little confusing about evolution is evolution can only work with what's already there. Okay. So, so in this case, when there's a, an event that kills birds and say, Tarsus length matters in, in whether you die or not. What happens is the leg lengths that are already there, the short legs or the long legs, either survive or get killed more. And evolution is acting only on the leg lengths that are already there. There's no way to sort of like, for, for selection to, to like, to try to create longer legs that don't exist in the population already. Yeah, it's all about pressure that changes the average value of a trait in the community. Okay, so... And it relies on, on variation that already exists in the population. If everybody had the exact same leg length, then either the whole population would die if that leg length was wrong, or 
they would all survive and there'd be no selection pressure on leg length. So what would be interesting here from an evolution point of view is if you saw an event like this where there's a mortality and the long legs survive, and then the next generation, the average leg length is longer than it was in previous generations. And over time, if that kept happening, even if it doesn't happen frequently, but say there's an extreme weather event every 10 years or something, if during every weather event, the same thing happens where the birds with the longer legs survive, then over time you get this slow movement of the average leg length. The average leg length of the population gets slowly longer and longer and longer. And that could drive an evolution towards longer leg lengths. Exactly. So that's what one of the things they're looking for here. They say, well, we know in 1996 that this extreme weather killed the birds with short legs and the longer leg birds survived. Yep. So is it in this event in 2017, does the same thing happen? Because if it does, then that could be really driving evolution one direction. On the other hand, if it didn't happen, then that means that maybe there's not going to be any long-term evolutionary trend. You know, it sort of went longer in 1996, um, but maybe that's not always the same pressure. Right, and exactly. And that's part of what's so cool about this study is that they have this long-term study site, and so they were able to basically watch these cliff swallow populations for their responses to extreme weather events over the last 30 years. And they have, and in 2004, they found a similar trend in leg length that longer legs survived and but in 2017 they did not yeah in 2017 it was opposite and it was opposite just as strong as it was in 1996 right so you see just a reverse of the selection pressure basically of the direction of the pressure so in 2017 the birds that survived this extreme weather event they had shorter tarsi shorter legs and the legs were shorter by, again, over one millimeter, almost two millimeters, basically. So what this means is that the extreme weather events do have a strong selection pressure. It really sort of separates out the birds based on leg length. But the way it separates them, the ones that are successful, are not always the same, even though the, the weather event is basically the same kind of a weather event. It was another kind of long, cold, wet, period. Exactly. So this means that, that when you have these opposing selection pressures, that you're not necessarily going to see any trend in leg length over a long time period, many, many decades. Right. Over a long time period, you would expect that those opposing selection pressures would essentially stabilize the population at about the same leg length. We should also mention that they measured a lot of things other than leg length, but we're just talking about leg length because it's easy to understand and, and kind of wrap your mind around a single measurement rather than talking about every single thing they measured on the bird and the direction of those shifts. Yeah, they found shifts in some other things too. They were measuring some wing asymmetries and tail asymmetries and tail feather length, and, and there were some things that were being selected on not quite as strongly as the tarsus length is being yeah. selected. But if you're interested in those sorts of particularly asymmetry things, uh, I do suggest you go read the article yourself um, because there are some, some interesting patterns there. But I would say on the whole, with all of those things they measured, the, the overall story across these three different weather events was that the selection pressures changed. They were not always the same things that got selected for in these different extreme weather events. Yep.
So why do you think that is? I mean, I feel like this gets into the realm of speculation, which is like maybe not entirely useful or productive to spend a lot of time dwelling in, but it does seem bizarre that similar conditions result in such different outcomes for birds with a particular trait. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, they, these authors in this article do a little speculating in the discussion. You know, they, they did not have a clear answer. They don't know why this was different. Um, right, because you might think that, you know, birds with longer legs survive because maybe they're slightly bigger birds or something and slightly more resilient. But then maybe birds with shorter legs survive because they have smaller bodies and therefore are more efficient flyers and arrive on the breeding ground sooner or whatever. I think one of the keys here is that this is early in the migration, or at the end of the migration, early in the breeding season. So it's birds that have just gotten back to the breeding grounds from migration. So this is a, a period of the year when a difference in a few days or a few weeks can make a huge difference in what the birds are doing. And they talk about that a little bit. In one of these years, the birds had already had some eggs hatch and yeah, so they were having nestlings. to yeah they're having to feed nestlings and in other years eggs had not yet hatched so they weren't feeding nestlings so that's very different pressures on the birds and that just is a matter of a difference in you know a week or two maybe right absolutely yeah so, and one one event they had more males die than females because males were had arrived earlier on the breeding grounds as you would expect yeah so one possibility is that the effect that, that the extreme weather events will have on the population would depend on exactly when during the breeding season that extreme weather happens. Mm. So maybe there's an advantage to having longer legs earlier in the breeding season if it's cold, but a disadvantage later in the breeding season if it's cold. I mean, or, or any other number of things. There's, there's no guarantee that the selection pressures would be the same at all different times of year. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, too, what other selection pressures these birds are facing not on their breeding ground. So, you know, during migration or on their wintering grounds, presumably they might also be subject to uh, extreme climatic events or, or other selection pressures out there. And maybe that's influencing this result. Yeah, and that would have been... I, they, they looked for patterns like that. So... One thing that they looked at is, okay, in 1996, we had this selection for longer legs, basically. But then maybe there's a selection for shorter legs, say, during migration or on the wintering ground. So on the whole, what you see is, you, okay, you get an extreme weather event, there's a selection for longer legs. But then over the next 10 or 15 years, every year, there's a, a lesser selection for shorter legs on the wintering grounds or during migration. So you might see the population sort of make a big swing toward long legs right after that extreme weather and then slowly trend back toward shorter legs if there's an opposing selection at some other point during their life. Sure, and it's notable that that's not what they found. They found a really consistent trend towards longer legs until the 2017 extreme weather event. Yeah, I mean, that basically that 1996 event made long leg birds. They were in. Yeah. And then they, they basically stayed in. There was no trend back towards shorter legs. So it was like, okay, they, the legs are longer, and that sort of stuck, basically. And it, it stuck for many, many years until this big 
2017 event pushed it right back down in the other direction. Right. And that's a good, I mean, I feel like it's important to note how short a time period this is in terms of thinking about evolution. Like, you know, we're looking at, at the immediate effects of trends, but so frequently when we talk about evolution, it's it's on a much larger time scale. So this is, you know, a couple generations of cliff swallows, but we're not suggesting that that over the course of a couple generations, cliff swallows are going to suddenly look like, you know, American avocets or like a long, <laughs> long, stilt-legged bird. We're talking about small changes over a couple of generations. So up until now, we've been talking about changes in basically the average leg length or whatever, okay, that, that would sort of be evolving over time. Mm-hmm. And they found, okay, average leg length seemed to be selected for longer in 1996 than 2017. It was shorter again. But there's another aspect to this, because remember that evolution, natural selection, can only act on the variation that's already there in the population. And so how much variation there is in the population really matters. Right. And one of the things that they found is that in all of these extreme weather events, there seemed to be a reduction in the variation in leg lengths mm. and, and these other features. So not only did the longer legged birds do better on average, but the, the birds who had more average values and less extreme values also did better and the extreme values got cut out. So basically the birds with the very shortest legs and the very longest legs died. Right. And so what you're left with is less total difference in leg length after one of these events. Right. The range of leg length is now much narrower. Yeah. Which means that there's, I don't know, it's kind of like a seesaw. There's less leverage out at the ends to exert pressure on. Yeah, it means that if, if you lose those really short legs and really long legs, then when the next event comes along for which leg length matters, the population no longer has any birds with those really short or long legs that could be the real winners. You know, yeah. it's sort of, it limits the population in terms of what what possible winners are there. And so, so let me tell you why I wonder about this. I want, if extreme weather events become more common, which is one of the things that's forecasted with climate change, that right. um, if they become more common and these extreme weather events have some effect on the average value, but more importantly, they reduce the variability. If that happens more and more frequently, say it happens every five or six years instead of every 10 or 15 years. If that progressively reduces and reduces and reduces the variation within the population, at some point, do you think that would start meaning that the population is not as able to adapt? Right, I mean, that's the, the logic would lead, lead you to think that you lose resiliency the the less variation you have. And I don't really know enough about evolutionary theory to know, uh, you know, sort of how much variation is being lost from a, a practical perspective and how much that matters. Yeah, and they I didn't don't know talk either. about it a huge amount in this study. They they talked about it a little bit, but a lot of it kind of went over my head because I don't actually understand it all that well. Right. But, uh, but how I, much variation do you have to lose before you lose? any resiliency at all or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and from a conservation perspective too, you know, what what are the chances if extreme weather events become more common? 
is there a chance that that is going to limit the ability of these species to adapt and to evolve because it's limited because it's knocking out the variation during these extreme weather events huh yeah that's interesting i really don't know i'm curious about how quickly the population builds that variation again so Mm -hmm. so they looked at this in their first study with the the leg length and they looked at that next generation of birds and saw that they did have longer legs but I, i wonder did that next generation also have again a bigger variation in leg length? You know, how quickly does that variation in leg length recover? I don't really know. It's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know the answer, but I suspect they have data <laughs> to uh, help discover that answer because they've been operating the study site. They, you know, they ban birds there every year, so they've been continuously monitoring this population for thirty years. Yeah, that's a good point. They might they might already have the data in hand. I did email these authors. So I, I don't know if you're not used to looking at scientific articles, you might not be aware, but with every article, the, the authors, they usually give contact information, either like a, an email address or a mail, a, an address to send a letter or something. Uh, and you can, you know, send the authors a question if you have it. And, and so I've done this only a few times ever in my life, but this is one of those times <laughs> I had some questions about the study. So I sent the author an email and uh, they responded to me very quickly within a day or two. And, you know, I, I had a few questions, but one of the things that they mentioned um, was that they, they thought one of the nice things about this study is that for this study, the one studying the 2017 event, they used basically the same analysis methods that they used for the study that was published in 2011 that was about the, the earlier events. Yeah. Yeah, which is really cool because it... it using the same methods gets rid of one of the important questions, which is, did using different methods change your results? (laughs) So when you use the same methods, you can more directly compare results between years. Yeah, because obviously their, their main interesting result here is that, whoa, the selection in 2017 is opposite of the selection in 1996. If they had used different methods, you'd say, well, maybe you just got a different result because you analyzed it a different way. But they use pretty much the same methods. Um, There's one difference that they talk about in this study that I don't understand. I couldn't. (laughs) It's, you know, statistics that I don't use ever, so I have no idea. But by and large, they use the same methods, and that really makes the results fairly comparable. You can really put this study right next to the study of the 1996 event and say, yeah, we're pretty confident here that there's a real different thing happening in the population. I mean, that's my favorite thing about this study is just the idea of using this long-term monitoring site data, replicating the study a bunch of times with different extreme weather events over the years. And then you get to ask new and interesting questions each time because you have 30 years of data. And like every time there's a new climatic event, you have more data, you know, another five years, another 10 years, whatever. So it's kind of this, it's a really fun combination of like recreating, replicating methods and long-term data exploration. I think you really need to be on your toes and, and ready to take advantage of things like this. You know, I'm, I'm sure that they were not planning every year to like go out there and sit around and hope that this is the one year where there's extreme weather. You know, right. they're they're going out there every field season doing their normal studies, but then they get these severe events, and I think they have to jump right away, and they go out right at the end of this 
event and collect the dead birds. And they talk in the study about how, you know, if they don't collect the, the dead birds quickly enough, they start to decompose or they get washed away in rivers or whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. Or get so, eaten or, yeah. Yeah, I think this is really like really quick response during their field season to sort of readjust their plans, figure out how they're going to collect the data about these extreme events and get it done very quickly after the thing. Absolutely. And ban so many birds immediately after the event to look at the survivors because the longer you wait the more likely it is that you get you know young who were raised this year who might not have experienced the actual selection event um and so you know what you want is to evaluate immediately the birds that died and the birds that lived right in that you know little week-long period after the event in the uh when the authors replied and sent me an email, they did mention that they had another extreme weather event in 2019. So another event like this just happened. And they haven't gotten very far analyzing the data yet. They sort of just got it. But um, but they do have that. There's going to be a fourth extreme weather event to sort of put in this series and compare. Uh, yeah, and it sounds like they were interested in looking at, at whether there's spatial patterns in the selection in the 2019 event. So I'll be excited to see what they find with that. Yeah, that should be very interesting. So to me, most broadly, I mean, what's what's interesting about this study is that it's looking at the evolutionary effects of extreme weather events, which just by their nature are hard to study because they happen rarely, and you have to really jump and be quick on your feet to get the right data. Yeah, having the infrastructure set up to do this is great. <laughs> but because they are extreme events, they could potentially put a pretty severe pressure on a population that could be a, a fairly strong driver of evolutionary adaptation. And that's exactly what these, this study and the previous studies from these authors were looking at. Exactly. And this lets us look at what that driver might be and if it is likely to be consistent or if it is likely to change over time. Yeah, the, the opposite effects in 1996 and 2017 is really quite interesting because it would suggest if it's if that happens frequently, that overall, your long-term thing, there's not going to be a huge, like, one-directional change from these extreme weather events. Yep. Well, as always, you can find us on Twitter at FledgeCast, and we'll put the link to the article up on our podcast page at Podbean. Dot com. Yep, fledglingtheories.podbean.com. And uh, if you didn't listen to our last episode, maybe you missed it, we have launched a Patreon. So if you like this podcast and you want to kick us a dollar or two dollars a month to support our efforts here um, and our mission to make science accessible to more people, then you could go to patreon.com slash fledglingtheories and sign up to support us. And we really appreciate it. And if you happen to be someone who knows a lot about evolution or is studying this and you know what the and you have any ideas about what the effects of this reduction in variation from these extreme weather events are, I'd be very interested to hear. So yeah, holler. <laughs> send us a message or, or comment on the page. Maybe if you know of a good study, send it our way. We might do it on a podcast uh, in the future. So once again, the study is called Changing Patterns of Natural Selection on Morphology of Cliff Swallows During Severe Weather. It was published in the Wilson Journal of Ornithology in 2018, and you can find that link on our website. Thanks for listening. The funding for my PhD position comes from a project funded by Science Foundation Ireland. 
I'm at University College Dublin in the Ecological Modeling Group of John Yearsley. If you want to find out more about our research in the Ecological Modeling Group, you can go to www.ucd.ie backslash ecomodel.